Thank you, baby. If you would, please go ahead and stand and grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Thank you, Eddie. Uh, this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the seat back pocket in front of you. Uh, if you're in those Bibles this morning, uh, we're going to be on page 502. That's 502. And if you don't have a Bible in your home, uh, we'd like you to take that as our free gift to you. We'd like the Word of God to be in your hand and in your home because we believe it has the power to transform lives and make people into a new creation. So let us prepare our hearts for the reading of God's Word. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. It says, Jesus calls the first disciples. Verse 1 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out from land a little. And he sat down in the boat and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished, uh, finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish so that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished. At the catch of fish they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So, um, first of all, thank you all for being here. Man, y'all are a really good looking bunch of folks this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Paul Brooks, and I'm the pastoral intern uh, around here. Uh, pastoral intern it has a, it's a code for a lot of different things. I've been a, a gopher. I've been a landscaper. I've been a logistical management specialist. Uh, I've been a, a director of youth ministry, a worship team member. Uh, a whole wide variety of, of titles and hats have befallen me during this time. But, but primarily what that means is that I'm a, a student, first and foremost, who's studying diligently the ways of loving, shepherding, and stewarding hearts to one day become ordained as a pastor. And, and during my training, Pastor Mark's worked uh, intensely with me, and he's noticed that uh, during my preaching training that uh, each one of the sermons that I put before him has had sort of this uh, evangelistic leaning. And for those of you who are not brought up in the church who may not know what that word means, it just simply means that, that all of the sermons that I've, I've preached in, in front of him for practice have contained an overwhelming focus, if you will, on seeking and seeing saved those who are lost to Jesus. So therefore, this morning, we're going to spend our time taking a break from uh, the message series uh, of the Ten Commandments that Pastor Mark's been preaching on. And we're going to plunge headfirst, deeply into the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ, the siren call, that is, that Christ has on each and every one of our lives this morning. So, and to begin our time, I'd like to place before you, if you will, a, a scenario to kind of illustrate, if you will, the, the, the dire circumstances, the sense of urgency, if you will, that is before us in the topic at hand today. So if you would, please humor me for a moment. And, and I want you to close your eyes. And I, and I want you to imagine that you're in the middle of the Bering Sea. And the waves are, are getting about 40 to 50 feet high. The, they're smashing upon the, the boat and it's being tossed to and fro. And the, the, the motor, the engine that propels the boat, that's, that's the safeguard for the boat, has just crashed and failed. And everybody's starting to worry and panic on the boat now. 
The captain has, has picked up the horn immediately and he calls the Coast Guard and the rescue helicopter. It's on station now. The captain turns and grabs the mic and he gives the order to abandon ship. And everybody feels that deep, tight feeling in the pit of their stomach. And as the order to abandon ship has been given, you, you grab your cold water survival suit and you, you put that thing on as fast as you can. And, and, in, and a few moments later, you notice that the hull of the ship is cracked wide open. And now water is being taken on board the ship at a rapid and an alarming rate. The call from the radio on the helicopter outside has been given. You have a choice to be made. Either stay on the ship and follow it, ride it down to the very depths of the sea itself into the frigid bottom bearing sea or jump into the water take your chances trusting that the coast guard and her crew will be able to rescue you fast enough before hypothermia sets in and you freeze to death the only way for you to be received any type of uh, salvation from the icy cold eternal separation of the deep in this situation folks is for you to trust and place that trust in the coast guardsman to save your life See, the siren call, like the call from the, the captain to abandon ship, the siren call of Christ, it must be answered. It cannot, it cannot be ignored. This, this call cannot, cannot be sent to voicemail. It cannot be declined. You see, we must answer in one of two ways. We must either answer in affirming acceptance and repentance and faithful obedience leading to a life abundantly everlasting thereafter. Or we must answer in self-condemning rejection that leads to eternal separation from our Creator, casting ourselves into the relentless, fiery lake of hell itself. Yes, folks, hell is a very real place, and I, I can already feel the eye rolls this morning. I, I know that that's not a, a very popular thing to talk about or to say, but it's true. And I would be remiss and derelict in my duties as a, a lover of Jesus and a lover of you if I didn't remind you of the dire circumstances surrounding the siren call that Christ has put before all of us. So whether you're here this morning as a lifelong faithful follower of Jesus, or you're here this morning listening to the gospel for the very first time through bloodshot eyes, I assure you there is, there is good news for you this morning, you see, because the Lord in His sovereign mercy has orchestrated and ordained your being here sitting in that very seat, hearing the words of this feeble warrior this morning. And therefore, I want to encourage each of you as we begin to listen with, with ears tuned and, and hearts tuned anew to the word of the Lord this morning. You see, when the siren Christ, call of Christ comes, it doesn't come necessarily as a, as a trumpet blast, at least, at least not at first. I want you to look at verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he sat down and began to teach them. Or asked Simon to pull out a little bit from land. And he sat down and began to teach the people. You see, Jesus comes to Lake Gennesaret. And for those of you needing a geography lesson this morning, that's the, the Sea of Galilee. It's located in Israel. You see, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues lately. And he's started to catch a little bit of notoriety. People are really wanting to hear what he has to say. And, and Mark tells us that, uh, Jesus is actually sitting down in the boat at this point, and he's teaching the crowd the parable of the four soils. You see, that's the story where Jesus comes and tells us that there's four types of people that hear the word of God. You see, the first type, they hear it, and, and Satan comes in and swoops it out away from them before it ever has any time to really sink in and do anything for them. The second type, they, they hear the word, and they immediately just become overwhelmed and filled to the brim to overflowing with joy at the goodness 
of the good news. But, but when trouble comes, because they have no root, they fade away from Christ. And the third type, they, they hear the word, but, but they're choked out by the weeds of life because they, the demands and the desires of this world become too much for them. And indeed, they count the cost of following Christ and simply think that it's too much. And then the fourth type of person, the person who, the good soil, right? The one who hears the word, receives the word, and then, then actually becomes a doer of the word. And they produce a crop of, of up to a hundred times that which was sown in them. So to paint the picture for you, Jesus has just given that word to the people. And now I want you to, to notice something here. Peter and Jesus aren't closely related at this point. They haven't spent a lot of time together, okay? They don't, they, Peter doesn't really know who Jesus is just yet, but he's about to receive a crash course in exactly who Jesus is. And indeed, this meeting is going to change his life and the rest of the world as all of us in this room know it forever. So why, why, why Peter? Why did, why did Jesus choose Peter? Is it because he had a boat? Well, of course not. There was another one there that Jesus could have easily commandeered. Well, we know from the New Testament, we know that Jesus is fully God. And he's fully man. And it as God. He doesn't do anything at random. You see, despite how cute of a song lyric it might be, God's love is anything but reckless. You see, we know this because we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The, the night before he's to be betrayed. And, and we see him sweating literal drops of blood because he's agonizing over what was about to happen to him. You see, he knew every strike of the lash that was to come. He knew every inch of the flesh that would be ripped from his bone. He knew how excruciating his death was going to be. You see, he saw that. He knew it. And he didn't just know it right then. He knew it from eternity past. He knew it from before the very foundations of the world. You see, he saw that. He looked at it. He considered it. He counted the cost of what was going to happen to him. And then he looked at you and he looked at me this morning. He says, you're worth it. You're worth it because I love you. That's not reckless behavior. That's calculated that's methodical. That's, that's intentional behavior. That's the father heart of God. That's, that's the goodness of God. So why Peter? Did, did he possess something in himself that Jesus just had to have in order to accomplish his ministry? See, we know from looking at Peter's track record, right, that he doesn't exactly have like a spotless record for, for getting things right. You see, this is the dude that, that is going to deny Jesus at least three times before the rooster crows on the, the day of his death, right? This is the guy that, that cuts the, the ear off the guard that comes to arrest Jesus. This is the guy that Paul has to rebuke because he refuses to have lunch with his Gentile friends so that his Jewish buddies don't think he's uncool, right? He gets it wrong, and he gets it wrong a lot. But I, but I want you to see something about Peter. There's, there's one thing about Peter that he gets absolutely right. You see, he's the first one to recognize Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He's the first one to recognize Jesus is the Messiah. You see, he later on becomes the, the guy who also leads the church through some of the most difficult and tumultuous times in the entirety of the church's history. You see, there's nothing innately good about Peter in and of himself. And I want you to, I want you to see this, right? Okay, you see, Peter, uh, I, I want to blow away any preconceived notions you may be having this morning about the type of person you have to be in order for Jesus to choose to use you or choose to love you, right? See, Peter was a fisherman. And I'm, I'm not talking about like the cool bass pro shops, like anglers sitting on the really awesome bass boat kind of fisherman, right? The guy who wears the, the cute little sandals with the thing over the big toe and the, the cargo shirts and the, the habit shirt and the, the Ray-Ban sunglasses. No, not that kind of guy. No, we're talking about like the deadliest catch 
kind of fisherman, right? The, the roughneck, man, the kind of guy who, like, he doesn't exactly speak the Queen's English. He has to say things like, pardon my French a lot, and polite company, and that kind of thing, right? You know, he's a, the calloused hand, sort of, sort of really just, just a, a roughneck kind of guy, right? Jesus loves roughnecks, by the way. He, he loves those, those kind of guys that are dirty. They, they, they're stained by the world. They've experienced real losses, real triumphs, real rejections, real hurts, real people. You see, he, look at this. He takes Peter, who's a fisherman, right, a roughneck, a deckhand. He takes this guy, and he turns, him, he turns him into one of the greatest leaders the church will ever know. And look at how Jesus starts with him, right? He says, hey, uh, put out a little bit from land. Peter, I'm going to borrow your boat for a second. Hey, hear me out. This is a small conversation. See, he starts small, but then, then immediately he ups the ante. I want you to look at verse 4 with me. It says, and when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. You see, Jesus is telling Simon Peter to, to move out into deeper waters, right? He's, he's asking for a declaration of trust in Jesus here already. See, Peter is being asked to trust that Jesus knows something that, that he doesn't. Because I want to paint this picture for you. Look, Peter, Peter's been out all night. He and his brother and their business partners, and they've been fishing all night. And like I said, this isn't the cool, like, toss your line in the water kind of fishing. No, this is back-breaking work stuff, right? This is where I grab the fishing net, and I toss that thing out in the water, and then I drag it in, and I toss it out, and I drag it in. He's been doing this all night long. This dude is exhausted. And at this point, he should probably be going to catch some sleep because he's been up all night doing this, right? But, but look at this. Instead of being angry about this, look at how Peter responds to Jesus. You see, he spent all night doing all that, and he got skunked. There's no fish in the water to be caught. But he looks at Jesus, and he says, you know what? Master, he recognizes that, that Jesus is someone who is higher than himself, is a higher authority than himself. He submits to Christ's lordship initially right out the gate. He says, Master, look, man, we worked all night long. We didn't take anything. We got skunked. That means we took nothing. But at your word, I'll, I'll trust you. And at your word, I'll go ahead and I'll let down those nets. I'll, I'll hear you out. And I want you to see what Peter is experiencing here. Don't, don't gloss over this. Don't miss this. You see, Peter has some doubts about what's going on right now. He's got some doubts that are based in some very real, factual, experiential evidences. He spent all night long fishing. If anybody knows that there ain't no fish there, Peter knows that there ain't no fish there to be God. Okay? Some of you here this morning, you've had some very real hurts and some very real losses. You've had some real tragic things happen in your life. Some really bad things, and you've got some, some very real doubts that are also based in legitimate factual evidences. It's understandable that because of those hurts and losses that you have deep doubts and sincere doubts about the goodness of God. But God isn't, I want you to hear me this morning, God isn't trying to sweep any of those things under the rug as though they didn't happen. He's not ignoring them. Jesus isn't telling Peter to ignore the awful night of fishing. He's saying, trust me in spite of that because I have something miraculous waiting for you on the other side of that trust. You see, Peter, I, I want you to notice something here. Where is Peter putting his trust? Is he putting it in, in the fish that are going to be in the nets? Like I said, he knows there are no fish out there to be caught in the first place. There's no fish to be caught in the first place. So where is he putting his trust? Putting in Jesus, right? So, so check it out. He's putting his trust in, in the giver, okay? Not in the outcome, but in the one who controls the outcome. There may not be any fish out there, but he, he's putting his trust in Jesus for this. And, and Christ is teaching us a lesson through Peter in this moment here that we're seeing that all of us should remember. That, that's that the gift, the, the, the gift is, is good. 
But the gift is always preceded by the giver. The healing is always preceded by the healer. We get that order of operations mixed up a lot in our lives. You want to know the secret to a fulfilled and contented life? You want to know the meaning of life this morning? You ready for this? It's Jesus. Everything in the world from beginning to end find their yes and amen in him. You see, Jesus is telling Peter and us this morning to trust in him because here's the thing, folks. Jesus is eternal. And it doesn't matter how how great the things are in your life that you give your life to. It doesn't matter how well you climb the corporate ladder, how much money you make out in the oil field. It doesn't matter how many conquerors or, or conquests you have with your life. All of those things that you put your trust in, your job, your family, your relationships, all of those things will end in one place and one place only, and that is the grave. That's the grave. There's only one place where you can place all of your hope and all of your trust Today, right here, right now, there's only one place where you can put all of that and all of your eggs and never have them broken. There's only one place that you can put all of your hope and all of your trust, everything that you have, to where it will never be let down. His promises are good because he's never broken one, folks. Jesus is the only place where you can place your trust and never be let down. And look, even Scripture shows us here that that trust, that trust in Jesus is always rewarded. Look at verses 6 and 7 with me. It says, and they, when they had done this, they uh, enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they, they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. The whole fish was huge, right? See, Jesus asked Peter to trust him. And I want you to see what Jesus does here. Jesus takes Peter's very real doubts that were based in experiential, legitimate evidences, right? He takes those real doubts and then he he replaces those doubts with confidences. Confidences that are now based in very real, factual, and experiential evidences. It's hard to argue with with results like that, right? Look, folks, before before Christ came along, my life was an utter train wreck. You can ask my mom. She's sitting right there. My dad would concur. It was an absolute utter train wreck. You see, uh, before Jesus, I was lost to pills, booze, sex, and porn. I made a plan. I made a plan to kill myself. And Jesus stopped me. He stopped me dead in my tracks by asking me to trust him for a simple, small conversation that started six years ago and hasn't stopped since. You see, today, today my life is a complete 180 from what it it was then. You see, I have a a beautiful, smoking hot wife. I have two amazing, wonderful children and a life that any one of you in this room would love, love to have. And I, and, and I want you to see something here, folks. Um, I didn't clean myself up and then find Jesus waiting there with, with open arms for me. I didn't, I didn't quit the booze or the porn all, all on my own. You see, Jesus found me. I, I didn't find him. Don't, don't mistake the order of operations here. He found me first. You don't have to clean yourself up for Jesus. It's like, it's like saying you have to take a shower uh, or uh, wash your hands before you take a shower. It just doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't. It's silly. You see, here, here's, a, here's a newsflash for you. Um, I'm going to say something that if you take it just this first part and don't get the second part, I could be in some real trouble. So, so pay attention to what I'm about to say, okay? Jesus loves you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are, right where you're sitting, right here, right now. You don't have to do anything more than what you're doing right now for him to love you because he already does just the way you are. Some of y'all are waiting. Where's the butt? Where's the butt, right? 
It's not a but statement. It's an and statement. Jesus loves you just the way you are. And he loves you so much, he's not going to let you stay that way. He's not going to leave you in that hole. He's not going to leave you locked up in your own sin. He's not going to leave you far away from him. Like the sheep in the parable of the sheep, he's locked and trapped inside those briars. He doesn't leave that sheep there. He pulls that sheep out of that hole that that sheep got himself into, tosses him on his shoulders and brings him home. See, folks, he made me new, and not because there's anything cool about me, because any, most of y'all who do know me, y'all know I ain't cool. Um, <laughs> there's nothing really cool about me. He made me new and made me a new creation because, like Peter, I took a look at my life, and I saw the utter emptiness of it without him. I saw how lost and how miserable I was without him and how there was no hope without Christ. And like Peter... I accepted his invitation for a conversation, but I'm not going to be good. And I, res- I put my trust in him. Let's talk about those deep waters for a second. Some of y'all are like, oh, great. Here comes some deep waters, right? You see, um, God is calling all of us into deep waters this morning, whether you've, you've been a Christian your whole life or you've never even heard the gospel before. You see, the deep waters can look like a million different things, but I want you to, to see one commonality that all deep waters have and that's that each and every single deep water of your life will always require you to place your trust in jesus period you see and that's a that's a hard thing right because trust that's not in our nature in fact it's actually the the antithesis of our nature the opposite of our nature right you see every single sin no matter what it is all find their bedrock root their foundational roots in the deep lack of trust in god's ultimate goodness and you don't have to walk through cancer or war or the death of a loved one to experience a lack of trust in god's goodness no indeed when things are seemingly great we still struggle with a lack of trust in his ultimate goodness and for many of you the deep waters of trust aren't going to be in places of of catastrophic failure or crises for most of us the deep waters of trust are going to be in the everyday mundane realities of life the bills we have to pay the relationships that we have Securing sustenance, food. The pressing matters that demand our attention day in and day out. Jesus commands us to place our trust in him for everything. From from salvation to comfort to redemption. Life, uh, a better, a second chance. Maybe a better life to come. For all the, the worries that this life puts on us. You see, when... Um, I know a little bit about, about worry. When Mahalia, uh, Narcy was pregnant with Mahalia, our, our daughter, uh, she had really bad morning sickness. And, and side note, why do they call it morning sickness if it lasts all day and all night? Right? Uh, can I get an amen, ladies, at least on that one? Right. So she had really bad morning sickness. And it was so bad, the doctors thought that she had gallstones or something really wicked, horrible. And it, it got so bad to the point where I had mentioned something to Mark and Ginger. And they, they came over to the house. And they anointed her with oil and they prayed over her. And sure enough, shortly thereafter, she began to feel better. But, but that night, Mark and I had a, a conversation. He said something to me. He said something to me that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. You see, I was talking to him about being uh, trepidatious about uh, these concerns that I had about being a father to now two kids and a, a husband to my, my gorgeous wife and how I was going to provide for them. You see, my job at AT&T wasn't where I felt called to be. And uh, quite frankly, I was miserable working there. See, the, the demands of that job were becoming constantly uh, more and more unrealistic and, and unattainable. And I, I wanted out. I wanted to do something new. But 
but I was scared. And, and Mark, in his, his usual way of, of big brothering me, he told me something I'll never forget. He says, Paul, don't ever forget that God loves your children just as much as he loves you and more than you love them. The child that grows within your wife's belly, son, is your guaranteed promise of your next meal. See, we spend a lot of time worrying about things that are never going to happen. We spend a lot of time worrying about the daily necessities of life. When, we, when the Bible tells us, see, actually Jesus himself tells us that, that the birds of the air, they, from the moment they hatch until the, the moment they fall to the ground dead, that not one of them exists on anywhere on that timeline outside of the Father's care his care god cares for a bird you see a bird doesn't have 401ks investors or a diverse stock portfolio yet it's every need is always constantly provided and the bible tells us that you and i this morning are infinitesimally more important than any bird any rose or any angel ever could be he loves you that much he cares for you that much we don't need to worry about the daily things that we need He's calling us into deep waters of trust, and we don't have to be afraid of those deep waters of trust. You see, there's something cool that happens when we trust Jesus into those deep waters, right? You see, miracles happen in the deep water, and they only happen in the deep water. They only happen in the deep water. Let me ask you something. Uh, Most of you here, even if you don't have any experience with the Bible, you've at least heard of the story about Jesus walking on water and how Peter stepped out of the boat and tried to step on the water and walk on water like Jesus, right? Let me ask you something. How much faith do you think it would have taken for Peter to have if the water was only two inches deep? None, right? Come on, that that much water wouldn't pose a threat to an ant, let alone a six-foot-tall fisherman, right? Especially one who knows how to swim. Of course not. The water had to be deep. It had to pose some type of risk to him. And I'm not saying that these waters are going to be life-threatening waters for you this morning. They might very well be. But what I'm saying is that they're going to be deep. They're going to require you to place some trust in him. There's going to be some unknowns. There's going to be some real unknowns about things that you're going to have to place your trust in him for. You see, when Christ in the deep waters, that's where Christ really shows us who he is. When, when Jesus calls you into those deep waters and, and you step out and, and trust in him in faith, Something miraculous always happens. See, you receive very real, experiential, factual evidences that he really is exactly who he says he is. You see, miracles don't have to necessarily look like a uh, like what happened uh, with me when I when I got sick with cancer, like the the CT scan looking one day all cancered up and then the next day no more cancer, right? That's what we think of when we we see a miracle. But here's the thing, folks. The greatest miracle that God performs on a daily basis that often goes unnoticed is the miracle of a transformed life. You see, he he takes longshoremen, fishermen like Peter, right? He takes roughnecks. He takes lawyers and doctors and, and people of all walks of life and professions, even prostitutes and porn stars, porn watchers, gamblers, thieves, liars, adulterers, drug addicts, drunks, gossips, road ragers, hypocrites, Democrats, Republicans, libertarians, and dare I even say it, even congressmen and women, and turns them into loving, compassionate sons and daughters of the Most High God. So you may be sitting here this morning, uh, been in church your whole life, 
having committed your life and knowing the, the exact thing to say, exact words to pray whenever time comes, knowing exactly what part of the song to raise your hands, you know, doing the, the TV tray here or the, the goalpost, you know exactly what to say, right? Having committed your life to a, a list of rules of to-dos in order to get, finding that the hope you've placed in the order to get has left you feeling void, self-righteous, and wanting because you can't live up to those rules. Feeling like a whitewashed tomb that Jesus tells the Pharisees about, right? But I'm here to tell you, I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus is ready to call you out of that whitewashed tomb. That's the miracle that Christ has for you in the deep water. You may be here this morning having spent your entire life in a, living a life of promiscuity. Living, looking for affirmation and affection in broken relationship after broken relationship. Feeling used up, tossed out, abused, worthless. But Jesus is ready and waiting this morning to make you brand new. Because he loves you. To give you value and worth. Because to him, you're the most precious thing on the face of this planet. You may have spent your whole life strung out on drugs and booze. Trying to numb the pain of some past traumatic event. So scared of feeling even an iota of pain that you can't stand to be sober for more than five minutes. Feeling isolated, alone, locked inside a deep prison cell of guilt and shame and grief. Like a dead man unable to do so much as tie his own shoe. But Jesus is calling you out into the deep waters of trusting in him this morning. He's calling you out of that prison cell. He's calling you out of that tomb. Those are the deep water miracles that are waiting for you there. You can trust him for those deep waters. You see, for Peter, see, he's already received his, he's heard the siren call. He's, he's received his miracle. And now, now Peter knows. He knows that Jesus is way more than just some crazy rabbi who jacked his boat for an afternoon Sunday school lesson. Check it out. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Can I have some real talk with you this morning? Some of our reactions to sin are not in line with the cost of that sin. Mine included. You know what sin costs? You see, sin demands blood for payment. It demands blood for payment. You see, when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden back in Genesis chapter 3, when they were expelled in the garden for, for committing sin and bringing sin into the world, God killed an animal, and he killed the animal to make their clothes to cover up their nakedness, their sinfulness of what they had done, their shame over what had happened. See, the blood of that animal was the foreshadowing of the later blood that Christ would spill on the cross for your reconciliation and my reconciliation to God the Father. See, Christ's blood was payment, payment for my burden, for my fault, for our folly. And we cannot look upon the cross of Christ and all that he has done for us and then say, I love you, Jesus, and then turn around and look at our sin with mild apathy. It's not the way it works, folks. There's this notion that I've heard about on the internet about this notion of hyper grace that that somehow because I'm freely forgiven of all of my sins in Jesus that that now I can go out and just party like it's 1999, right? I can eat, drink, be merry, fornicate, do whatever I want to do, whatever my wicked heart desires because I'm free from my sins, right? No, that simply is not the way the radical grace of God works in the heart of a true believer. Check it out, folks. Radical grace only leads to radical obedience. A true understanding of the radical grace of God that has been poured out upon us through the cross of Christ and through Christ's blood on that cross can only lead to one thing, and that is radical obedience to His Word and what His Word calls us to. 
You see, when, when Peter experienced the shadow of things to come and the abundant haul of fish, his first reaction wasn't to run down to the local pub and grab a celebratory bite with the boys. It was to immediately fall on his feet and cry out, what a sinful and wretched man that I am. See, like Peter, we must be broken over our sin if we are to truly trust him in those deep waters. See, all throughout Scripture, any time a human being finds themselves in the presence of the Holy God, they immediately do what Peter did. They say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. That's a woe is me. Woe is me, I despair of life itself because I am I'm in the presence of the holy God. And I know that true justice of any kind on any level demands that I be obliterated for my sinfulness. Oftentimes, um, uh, people, people can mistake uh, the intimate relationship that we have with God for, and be cavalier with it. Uh, if anybody in the history of the world ever had the right to say the words, Jesus is my homeboy, without being irreverent, it would have been the Apostle John. He lived with him, he slept with him, he, he ate with him, he drank with him, he went from town to town, he watched all the miracles happen. Jesus, he was the disciple that Jesus loved. And when John, that guy who had that kind of relationship with Jesus, when that guy sees Jesus in Revelation 117, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. As though dead. Fear and trembling took place. You see, he was self-aware enough to know that, that while Jesus was his friend, Jesus was certainly not his peer, and he had no right to stand in any type of judgment over him. That is the only appropriate response we have when we when the magnitude of who jesus really is and what he's done for us truly comes home to roost in our hearts our reaction can only be unencumbered unashamed obedience to his word so how does jesus respond to peter's reaction all this look at verse 10 with me he says and jesus said to simon do not be afraid from from now on you will be catching men you see jesus tells simon peter do not be afraid the word afraid there that Jesus uses in the Greek is, is phobeo. That might sound really familiar, right? Phobia. Some of y'all have heard that word before. So we get the word for fear, right? Well, this particular definition, the, the translative definition of that form of the word phobeo means to put to flight or to, to make to run away, right? You see, Jesus knows. He knows us. He knows that our, our, our reaction any time, our, our initial reaction, our instinctual Reaction, anytime we perceive a threat of any kind, is to do one of two things, either fight or flight. You see, Jesus says don't run away. See, when we, when we, when we stand and fight, our, our pride makes us stand and fight, right? Hardening our hearts towards God. As though we have some sort of moral authority to stand in judgment over him, which, by the way, as I've said earlier, we don't. While our fear, on the other hand, right, our fear tends to make us run away. See, that was, that was my first reaction to Jesus, was to, to run away when I was a kid. It makes us run away because we're terrified of what, what Christ might ask of us. What it might actually cost us to follow Jesus. And lastly, in verse 11, if I could get my helpers to come up here with the music, please. Lastly, in verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, everything, and followed him. 
You see, the, the siren call of Christ demands that we leave everything behind us and follow him. Everything. And leaving everything behind us doesn't necessarily mean that the material things of this life. doesn't necessarily just mean that. You see, here's the deal, folks. A, a lot of you here this morning have been holding on to, to past hurts, past regrets, sinful habits, guilts, shames, plural. You've been holding on to these things for so long now that they become so ingrained in your identity and into who you are that, that if you were to let them go right now, you wouldn't even know who you are anymore. You're scared, even terrified of the siren call that Christ is placing before you this morning. Allow me to, to further illustrate my point. Cameron, can I get you to turn the lights down just a little bit? I want everybody to close their eyes for me. I want you to think back to earlier in our talk that the scenario that I put before you. The water's crashing. The, the waves are, are just rising even higher and higher. The, the weather outside is just not letting up in any way. The ship is sinking further. And at this point, the, the aft of the ship has sunk completely underwater. And you're climbing up the boat deck, trying desperately to get to the bow of the ship. The only part of the ship that's still above water. The captain's made it with you and he's, he's standing behind you telling you, jump. There's no more time to waste, folks. The inevitable is happening. The call has come and it cannot be declined at this point. You, there's no more time. There's no delaying the inevitable anymore. And the question that you have to ask yourself, standing on the bow of that ship, as you look out into the black, deep abyss of the unknown, is will I ride the shipwreck that is my life down to the very bottom of the depths into hell itself? Will you dive headfirst into the waters, trusting Jesus to save you? There's only one place where hope can be found, folks. There's only one, one option that gives you any semblance of hope left. And, and I, I want you to hear me on this, folks. Will you, will you jump out into his plans to redeem you? Will you jump out into his, his plans for your life? Will you abandon your, your, your shame, your guilt, your pride, your plans, and step into what He has for you? See, I'm not, I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you this morning into making some rash decision in the moment because the decision I'm asking you to make that Christ is asking you to make this morning is not something where you fold your hands together in that seat and pray some simple prayer just this one time and then walk out that door and never look at a Bible again and never interact with the church again. That's not the kind of decision that Christ is calling you into. This isn't a one and done decision, folks. This is something that is a lifelong decision. And whether you're here this morning never having made that decision before in your life or you've made it a hundred times, the moment still bears just as much weightiness as it did the first time you ever heard. 
The cost of following Christ is extreme. It's expensive. And I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. If you follow Jesus, the Bible says you will have trials. You will have temp- uh, tribulations. You will have difficulties. Life will be hard. Jesus isn't holding out for you this morning a, the promise of some sort of crisis-free life of ease with, with rivers of chocolate and gumdrop waterfalls. That's not, that's not what he's giving to you this morning. That's not what he's holding out. So you may not see that relationship, that broken relationship that you want reconciled. You may not see that fixed in this life. That healing you've been longing for, you may not see that healing this side of heaven. But the Bible tells us that if we place our trust in Jesus and we step out onto the deep waters of trust, that we will have joy and life everlasting, that there, there will be a peace that surpasses all understanding in the midst of the crashing waves. There will be a grace that is more than sufficient for any moment. So don't wait. The water is rising. Today is the day of salvation. I want to, uh, I want to close our time here in song. If you would please, if you would stand with me, um, if you can, uh, and let us close our time together in, in singing this song in response to the siren call that Christ has asked of us this morning. You see, we've heard this song uh, a lot uh, in the church. We just haven't sing it at this church very often, um, but I believe it, it truly captures. It captivates the the cry of our heart, or at least what the cry of our heart should be in response to the siren call of Christ this morning. So would you trust him in those deep waters? Let the band lead us. You call me out upon the
Decided, Father, to give their lives to you, Father. Father, I pray boldness, encouragement over them, Father, that they, would, that they would seek out what it means to truly trust you in the deep waters of faith, Lord. Father, that they would reach out to the body of Christ, Father, that they would get plugged into community, Lord, that they would be discipled, Father, that they would come to know you, Father, that they would come to know more richly the goodness of the good news this morning, Father. Father, I thank you for being a, a God who, who is a good dad who gives good gifts to his kids. Thank you for being a God that we we trust because you're trustworthy. Thank you that it's the psalm that Katie read earlier this morning, Father, that that your, your steadfast love endures forever, that you never stop loving us, Father. Thank you that you're the God that pursues us, Father, that you're the God that, that comes after us first. Thank you, Father. Gratitude is the only attitude that we could give to you this morning. Thank you for your time, Father. Thank you for this opportunity to just come together as the saints, Lord, and to just revel and marvel at your glory and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.